Please turn to Revelation chapter 9. We'll be reading verses 13 through 21. Revelation 9, 13, Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who were bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. And the number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision, as those who rode them. They wore breastplates the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur, and the heads of the horses were like lion's heads, and fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed, by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of their works of their hands nor give, worship, give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. Shall we pray before we go much further? Father, if we pause, just ask for your blessing upon this word. Be with your servant as he opens this text up. Help me to be faithful to your truth. And may this light give us some insight to what, what is being taught here. What are we to learn and what are we to know? And may we consider these things as we seek to be faithful to you. It is in your precious name we ask it all. Amen. Judgment is never useless. A lot of times we think of judgment as something that is final, that is in, that is over. But judgment very often, in our thinking, all, we don't usually think of it this way, but when judgment happens, it also affirms something. It not only condemns the guilty and passes sentence upon the guilty, it also reaffirms the truth and the light and the law. And we want to be able to see this as we look together into this passage. Judgment is never useless. We are seeing in this text pictures, what I think are pictures of spiritual warfare. We already talked a little bit about this, and you're free to disagree with me. This is not going to put your salvation in jeopardy whatsoever. But let's just be reasonable as we think through these things in Revelation. 
We've been looking the past few weeks at the trumpets of judgment that have been declared or blasted over all of creation. And they appear to be, they more reasonably understood as visions of spiritual warfare and not actual events. The first trumpet was blown and there was sent or there came hail and fire mixed with blood upon the earth, upon this world. How are we supposed to expect that to happen? Now, I'm not saying it could not happen. I do know that it did happen to the nation of Egypt when they were judged for Pharaoh refusing to let the children of Israel go free. And I think through the power of the Holy Spirit and his inspiration upon the heart and mind of John, he is borrowing from that story in order to proclaim coming judgment from God again. And then there was the second trumpet describing something like a great mountain falling into the sea. And again, the waters turned into blood. Combining these two, Egypt and the prophecy of Daniel, after the great statue that, or image that Nebuchadnezzar had seen, there was something that would come from the sky, a great mountain, as it were, crushing that image. And that kingdom would never end. It is a promise that Christ's kingdom shall triumph. It is judgment upon the lost, and it is a proclamation that God's words are true. And we saw the third trumpet being blown, revealing a fallen star. We saw that as Lucifer, or Satan himself. And the fourth trumpet blown, the sun and the moon and the stars darkened. Spiritual darkness upon the earth. Now, can God make all of these things happen before our very eyes? He certainly can. It is within his sovereign authority and within his power to do so. Will he? I don't think so. It seems more reasonable to see this as spiritual warfare because some of these events that John is drawing on have already happened. And to say that they're going to happen again will just confuse us. God's judgment is never useless. Whenever his judgment is exercised, it is never wasteful. And whenever his, God's judgment is exercised, it is never wasted. He doesn't do things trivially. Many of us are very familiar with the text from Isaiah 55. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish what, that which I purpose. It shall succeed in the thing which I sent it. A lot of people like that verse because they think it promises fruit and prosperity and comfort and peace. And certainly God's word does often bring us that kind of a blessing. But you lay that passage next to what we find in Revelation 14. We'll be there in a few weeks. But just as a preview, 
Revelation 14, 8, another angel, a second, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on its hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And then in Revelation 14, 19, So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. My word shall not return to me void. It goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. It shall accomplish that which I purposed. It shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God's word can declare judgment and will not return to him empty. It will accomplish what he decrees it to accomplish. But that judgment for us should also be seen as a fulfillment of a promise, a fulfillment of a blessing. God's judgment is never useless. Whenever judgment, judgment is exercised, it is never wasteful and it is never wasted. It gives testimony that God's word is true and it vindicates the faithful saints who suffer persecution. The saints only have to wait for it, patiently. But God gives us grace to wait. He gives us endurance in our faith to wait. And our day will come. God's judgment will one day wipe out all sin and evil in the world. If you remember after the first four trumpets, we just described them a few moments ago, Revelation 8.13, Scripture says, I looked and I heard an angel crying with a loud voice as it flew over directly overhead, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets, and that the three angels are about to blow. There's something more coming. The first of those three was a warning of terrible judgment. The judgments are about to escalate. They are about to increase. They are about to get hotter. They are about to get stronger, according to Revelation. We talked about the fifth trumpet, the locusts slash scorpions, this kind of a morphed creature. It's supposed to, I think it's supposed to reveal to us what sin looks like in the eyes of God. And whenever we are tempted to sin, we should be terrified about, about our behavior. When we are tempted to participate in the sins of this world, to rebel against God, we should really realize that we are participating in Satan's work to destroy this earth and this world. 
and the relationships with those we love and our relationship with God, it should terrify us. We should say to ourselves, no, I must not do this. And in this language about this description of these locust scorpions, God is describing the evil influence of sin in words that are not meant to amaze us. It's meant to frighten us. These visions reveal how hideous and terrible sin truly is. And God will judge sin. For those who do not trust God, those who do not believe God, those who refuse to receive God, they will be judged eternally. For those who are gods who participate in any of this, God's blessings are be, will be withheld from you in this lifetime. He will chasten you. He will chastise. He will take a switch to you. He will send you to the woodshed. It will only be temporary but it's because he loves you and he wants you corrected. He wants you refined. He wants you to have no part of that. For those who do not believe God or his word, these sins become the very method of judgment that God uses to punish them. Revelation 9, 12, it says the first woe has passed. This is just review. We'll get into the lesson very quickly. Two woes are still to come. Now we had our text. The sixth trumpet is about to blow. Revelation 9, 13. The sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. The voice from the four horns of the altar. We need to remind ourselves, we need to remember that the altar is not just a place of sacrifice. It's not just a place of offering. It is a place of judgment. The altar is a place of judgment. In the South and perhaps in a lot of faithful Christian churches, people have come down and knelt at the altar. When they do that, they want to, under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, by the preaching of his word, they want to confess their sins. They want to repent of their sins. They need to plead the mercy of Christ and his offering on behalf of their life. What they do when they do that, they are confessing, I am worthy to be judged by God. Have mercy on me. The altar is where the debt is paid. It is where sin is atoned. And for us, the altar for our benefit was on the cross where Christ died. We need to see that. We need to believe that. We need to trust that. And if nothing acceptable is offered by ourselves, then nothing acceptable can be offered by ourselves then condemnation is proclaimed. The only appeal that we have, the only hope that we have is in Christ Jesus. The 
Very old hymn, all of you are familiar with it, Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which poured be of sin, a double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. Powerful words taken right from Scripture. The voice from the four horns on the altar, this place of judgment, declares to the angels, send forth wrath. God is proclaiming time for mercy is done. It is over. Send forth judgment. Sixth angel who had the trumpet released. The word came to the sixth angel who had the trumpet saying, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. If you remember back in chapter 7, there were four angels who were assigned to withhold judgment activity until the saints of God were sealed. And we saw that at the, at the fifth seal, the saints of God were sealed, they were protected, they were marked by God to be safe. Those angels then were, hold your judgment. We're not ready for that yet. Let's keep my people sanctified. Let's set them apart. Let's assure their salvation. And here we are at the sixth trumpet, and God said, release the four angels. Verse 15, so the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. There is some difficulty with this section of the passage. It seems to suggest a specific time for that final judgment. When might that be? I don't know. But until then, there is a call to repent. After that, there will be no more patience. There will be no more mercy. That's why the Apostle Peter said, there, Lord, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but is patient. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And we won't know when that final day of judgment will be. The disciples of the Lord Jesus asked him. And he said, but that day of, of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. There have been some preachers in the past, and I suspect there are even some today, who are setting dates. And he should not. I know it looks like it should be very near. We could expect him any minute. I, I could be walking down the street, have one step on Camden Court East and the next step on Streets of Glory. And you could do. But we don't know when. It seems trite. It's kind of cute. Have you seen the bumper sticker? Jesus is coming. Everybody look busy. We don't want to trivialize 
the holiness of his call. Now, with the problem or the difficulty with this passage, this section of the passage, it seems to suggest a time for final judgment, and there will be a time for final judgment. But why does it tell us that only a third of mankind dies? First, we want to consider what these four angels released upon the earth. Verse 15, four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, the year, were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard the number. This is an overwhelming army he describes. 200 million soldiers and horses. Will we actually see such an army when God releases judgment? Again, it could happen, but probably not. Another bumper sticker I saw. The price of gasoline being so high is why Revelation says everyone will just be riding horses. But what is going on in this text? This spiritual army, this overwhelming judgment that is coming is a description of some unstoppable force of judgment. No one will be able to resist it. And you're all very familiar with Romans 1, 25 through 27 or 28. Because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who was blessed forever. For this reason, God gave them to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature and men likewise gave up natural relations with women who were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to debased minds to do what ought not be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. So in judgment... On that final day, God is just going to give them over and use their own sin to bring judgment and pain and death to some, but not all. Verse 17 of Revelation 9, I saw horses in my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur, and the heads of the horses were like lion's heads, and fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. These are the plagues Revelation talks about. Fire and smoke and sulfur. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed, and by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths, for the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. There's a foreshadowing of the plagues of hell and the sufferings of eternal damnation.
You would think that if God is coming in such judgment with terrible force, unstoppable influence, that people would repent, that they would see, well, yeah, God is in control, that, that he is a terrible, awesome power, and I no longer want to resist him. I want to surrender to him. I want to appeal to his mercy. But what we see in this text, verse 20 the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of their works, of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols and gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. How bad will it get? How bad has it become? Just 21 years ago, we were all a little, just a little bit alarmed, a little bit uncomfortable about the gay community. And now it's not just the gay community, now it is pedophilia that seems to be running rampant. And there seems to be indications that it is in organized industry that is prevalent throughout the government of the United States. I know those are controversial statements, but if you've even been interested in looking into Jim Caviezel's new film that's out, that reveals a lot if it's true. All of these things are shocking to us. All, they are so stunning, it's almost unbelievable. Is this not God giving the rebellious heart of men over to their own sin, their own lusts, their own rebellion? Second Thessalonians chapter 2, the coming of the lawless one is by act, the activity of Satan. Will all power and false signs and wonders and all, with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore God sends them strong delusion so that they may believe what is false, in order that they may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Again, strong words about what is going on in the world today. So we need to be sober-minded. We need to be aware of what is going on in this world and we need to trust what God is teaching us. The sin that they are involved in has no part in your life as a believer at all. Run from it. Shield yourself from it. Protect yourselves and your children from it. 
repent of it and trust in the protection and safety of the Lord Jesus. Allow me to very quickly, let's look at chapter 10 because there's a big break as there was in the first seven seals between the sixth and the seventh seal there was a pause in heaven before that seventh seal was opened and again in these trumpets between the sixth and seventh trumpet there is a pause in heaven between the sixth and seventh trumpet we won't get to the seventh trumpet this morning but let's look at chapter 10 and I will (laughs) in conclusion I will be as brief as I can Revelation 10, then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun and his legs like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll upon his hand, open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. When we go back to chapters 4 and 5 of Revelation, we see the description of the throne room of heaven. And the throne itself is surrounded by a rainbow. And here again, we see a rainbow around this angel. I believe this can be none other than the Lord Jesus himself, who has authority over land and sea, over all of the world. He is wrapped in a cloud. He is glorious with his face like the sun, and his legs like pillars of fire. Similar to the description that John gives us about the Lord Jesus in Revelation 1. It can be none other than him declaring his authority over the world. And verse 3, he called out with a loud voice like a roaring, like a lion roaring, When he called out, the seven thunders sounded, and when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. Interesting, we don't know what these thunders have said. There have been a few times we hear the thunderous voice of the Lord, and only a few people during those episodes were allowed to understand what the thunders said so there is something special here we don't know what it is but it is the voice of God perhaps it is declaring this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased hear ye him I don't know it would make sense there he's already said it once verse 5 The angel of the Lord whom I saw, the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it and the earth and what is in it and the sea and what is in it and there would be no more delay but in the days of the trumpet of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel the mystery of God will be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants the prophets. I don't know if you've ever been involved with the theater. I was kind of casually involved with some theater in college 
and there is a there is a signal that is given usually at least where I was two minutes before the curtain went up they would dim the lights and then they bring the lights back up that meant that anybody who's out visiting around in the auditorium and talking there's always you know you hear this people just talking everywhere it just kind of gets their attention the lights go down and then they come back up okay everybody get in your place sit down we're about to start here I think there is kind of a thing going on here kind of a curtain call the son of God announcing to this world the seventh angel is about to sound then it will be over Verse 8, And the voice I had heard from heaven spoke to me, saying, Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, Take it and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. And it was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must prophesy about, my, many, about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. What is going on here? The Lord himself steps in between the declaration of the second and third woe of judgment, the, seventh, the sixth and seventh declaration of judgment, and saying that there is a message that we need to see here. John is instructed to take a scroll from the hand of this glorious angel, and he is told not to read it, but to eat it. And it is sweet in his mouth, but it is bitter in his stomach. If we proclaim the word of God as Christians, as Christians, each and every one of us, this word that we follow and we study is sweet to us, to all of us. But when we proclaim it to the world, it's received as something that is bitter something that they won't receive. God, God is giving us kind of an indication about what to expect when we preach the word. There will be persecution. There will be resistance. They will not receive it. And since they reject it, there will be judgment. Judgment is never useless. Psalm 51.4 Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. When we come before God knowing that we are sinners, that we are guilty, that we deserve the condemnation that's been proclaimed upon our lives, we know that God is just. We know that he is right. We know that he is true. And we deserve everything we get. His judgment is never useless. But his grace and his mercy 
is more wonderful when we appeal to his mercy. We know the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true, the true God and eternal life. 1 John 5, 20. We trust in him. We've nothing to fear. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. He and his word teaches us what to know, what to understand, how to perceive, how to interpret what is going on in this world around us so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. We are in his son, Jesus Christ. And he is the true God and eternal life. If you know him as your Lord and Savior, you are eternally safe. You are secure. You have very little to fear. You might be a little uncomfortable in this world. You might be a little frightened, not knowing what the future holds. But you should know what the future holds. It holds his glory. Reveals our hope. Reveals the fulfillment of his glorious promise. That is our future. That is our promise. Shall we pray? Lord, as we look together into your word and as we study it, we learn of your light and its truth. And we ask this day that you might speak to us as your children. Help us to be faithful in what we do in this life. May we be true to your word, true to your love, true to your mercy. May we be faithful to one another as we love Christ and as we love them through Christ. Give us power that we might proclaim in the Spirit the faithful words of our Savior. It is in his name and for his glory we pray. Amen.